was a good day, wasn't it? Uh, yesterday. Let's let's come before our God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for this passage in Matthew chapter ten. Uh, we thank you for um, the comfort that it has been to many of us, and the way that it spurs us on. Uh, Lord, we pray that you may encourage our hearts this morning uh, as we listen to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we we come to the beginning of a new um, series, um, and I'm starting the series. Uh, and but actually, we're part way through um, Matthew. Um, we jump in at, at Matthew chapter ten, and, but it's been a while since we've actually uh, looked at Matthew, and so I thought we'd start with just sort of a, a quick recap as to okay, what's happened up till now, uh, and then we'll and then what's coming. And then um, we'll look at today's chapter. Um, so in the first three or four chapters of, of, um, of Matthew, we get introduced to Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. Um, the Jews, now for the Jews, this is the answer they've been waiting for. Um, and from, then from the middle of chapter 4 to chapter 7, we hear uh, the teaching of Jesus on the mountainside, the, the Beatitudes. And it's here that Jesus actually makes it much harder to fulfil the law, doesn't he? Um, it it um, actually brings things down to a heart level rather than just a list of things that you can tick off. Um, in chapters 8 and 9, we see the power of Jesus through miracles. Um, he calms storms, he heals people, um, he brings people back to life. And then we hit chapter 10. Now, after chapter 10, the disciples start to go out. Uh, Jesus is still with them, um, but now they're doing their part. And then over the next number of weeks, we're going to see how they get more and more involved um, as they continue to learn who Jesus is and what this mission is all about. So today's passage is about getting ready for the work that they're going to do. Now, if you're, if you're answering a question, which we heard about yesterday... Um, you'd ask, how do you equip disciples to tell the world about Jesus? Now, like any new toy or initiative, um, there's always instructions, isn't there? Now, I love the fact that nowadays you can actually download the instruction manual before your product arrives on your front door. It's, it's wonderful, isn't it? Now, maybe you don't like instruction manuals, but I do. And so I like to read them through before I get, before I get into my new toy. Um, and it's so great that um, when it arrives, I'm totally ready to just get into it and use it. It's so exciting. And in this passage today, Jesus equips the disciples to be ready for what they're going to do. I mean, they're going to start Christianity as we know it today. Isn't that amazing? They're going to face trials. They're going to face opposition. Um, and when Jesus leaves them, they need to be ready for it. Now, we're first going to look at what it meant for them, what this passage means for them, and then we're going to look at how some of that might apply to us. Now, the first thing that Jesus teaches the disciples is that they need to preach a specific message. And this would be a good point to have your Bibles open. And if you look at verse 7, Jesus says to them, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, this isn't a, a new message that Jesus has just come up with in chapter 10. Um, we've, you, we have seen it in, in, chapter, in chapter 3, verse 2, and also in chapter 4, verse 17. 
Jesus already talked about this. Um, but it's an important message. Um, and so Jesus reminds them as they prepare to head off. And we can see from the following verses that they're told to do many things. In verse 8, it says to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Um, and in verse 1, we saw that Jesus gave the disciples the power to be able to do these things. And Jesus says to the disciples to go, perform the healing, drive out the demons, and as you go, preach that the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Um, the Gospels of um, Mark and Luke uh, often use kingdom of God. But Matthew wanted to avoid offending the Jews um, because that's who Matthew's writing to. And so he avoids using the name of God here. And so he uses kingdom of heaven um, to, to try and reach out to the Jewish population. So what is this kingdom of heaven? Well, I want to say this is a, this is a huge topic. <laughs> we could probably spend the whole sermon just talking about this one phrase. Um, but I think that we can understand it in a, few, in a few ways quite quickly. So first, the kingdom of heaven can be understood as the kingly rule of God in the lives of people. Or it could be the work of Jesus through the miracles or the signs that he showed. Or it could be that when Jesus returns to establish his reign of heaven, we could talk about the kingdom of heaven. And they're all valid explanations. And Jesus, said, Jesus equips them to preach that this kingdom is near. And when we think about it, to say that the kingdom of heaven is near at this point in Matthew is a little bit of an understatement, isn't it? I mean, people have put their trust in Jesus. There have already been signs of the king, that the kingdom of heaven is already there. We, we can see that through some of the miracles that he's already done. But at the same time, there's, there's still so much more to come. We've got another 18 chapters in Matthew. And then we've got Acts where we see the kingdom of heaven is here. So in that sense, it's near. Now one word Matthew doesn't use um, at this point um, when he talks about the kingdom of heaven is the word repent. Now it's used elsewhere in Matthew. um, But I think we should read it as if it's here. I think it's implied in what Matthew is trying to say. Because repentance is part and parcel of the kingdom of heaven. We stop living as though we're the kings of our lives. And we start living as though God is the king of our lives. We live with God's kingly rule over us. And that's repentance, isn't it? And they go in hand in hand. And so this is the message that the disciples... Uh, that Jesus wanted the disciples to preach as they went out, that the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe this good news. Now, after the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we can see that this message changes to the kingdom of heaven is here or has come. And so, in a sense, that message continues, and it continues even to today, doesn't it? I think also because Jesus is so wrapped up in this idea of the kingdom of heaven... Um, that today we say, repent and believe that Jesus died for you. He brought in the kingdom and the way to be part of it is to repent. That's the message that Jesus equipped the disciples with, to tell the world about Jesus. 
Now, the second thing Jesus teaches the disciples is to be on your guard. Be strong and don't be afraid. Now, this is a big section, verses 11 to 31. Um, And and I don't know if the disciples are actually very happy to hear this one. (laughs) Um, Look at some of the things that he says in this section. Uh, Verse 17. uh, Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. Down at verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and, his, and a father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have, and have them put to death. Verse 22, that all men will hate you because of me. Verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Then down in 26, so, so don't be afraid of them. In verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. There's a, there's a big picture of um, the disciples facing opposition. This is not saying, or oh, you may experience these things. No, you will experience these things. Opposition from governments, from family. They'll be hated, they'll be persecuted. And this will happen because they've chosen to follow Jesus. Now, as we know, because we, we've read through the book of Acts, that all these things happen to the disciples. Jesus prepared them so that when they happen, be on your t- they could be on their guard, be strong, and not be afraid. Now, although Jesus seems to paint a pretty grim picture of, of what's going to happen, um, he, he also comforts them. Jesus said to the disciples, when you're flogged and have to stand up and speak, don't worry, because... The Spirit of the Father, the Holy Spirit, will speak through you. Again, God is in control. Down in, verse, in verses 26 to 31, Jesus reassures the disciples that nothing is hidden from his sight. He can see everything. The disciples don't need to fear the one who can kill the body, only fear the one who can kill the soul. Look at verse 28 specifically. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I, I admit this is, this is quite confronting, isn't it? Because Jesus is talking about judgment in hell. However, it's also a great comfort. Because knowing that God's in control of that judgment in hell... Uh, means that the disciples are in a very good place. I mean, he's the only one who can possibly throw them into hell. But this won't happen because, well, they trust in him, don't they? So this is a great comfort. God is in control of this. Nothing will happen to them that God doesn't want to happen to them. They haven't rejected this message. They've accepted it. And they know that they're safe in his arms. Jesus says to them, you're safe because you trust me and I am in control. You'll be threatened. Your life will be in danger. But don't worry. It doesn't matter if you get killed. I'm still in control. Now for us, if, if Jesus is in control of all of this, then it's either a great comfort Or it brings you great sorrow, doesn't it? Because if you have trust in Jesus, you have nothing to fear. But he says that you're safe because Jesus is the one who has control 
over what happens to your body and soul. However, if you don't trust Jesus, then I think you have everything to fear. He says in verse 28 that people should be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And that's true, isn't it? We should be afraid if we don't trust in Jesus. We believe that God the Father can destroy both body and soul. And if you don't have Jesus, uh, God's kingly rule in your life, then you have everything to fear, and today is the day to repent. Repent of living as though you're the king, and put your trust in Jesus and live as though he is king. That's what Jesus wants of all people, to trust that Jesus is their Lord and King. And this is the second way that Jesus equips the disciples to go out and tell the world about himself. Now the last thing that Jesus, well it's not the last thing in this passage, there's lots of things, but the last thing I'm going to deal with um, that Jesus taught his disciples was to get them to put Jesus first. Look at verse 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Jesus wants the disciples to put him first. Now this seems to include more than just the disciples because we start hearing language of whoever. Whoever acknowledges me or whoever disowns me or whoever disowns Jesus. They will either be acknowledged or disowned by by Jesus. Now there's a sense that if If you put Jesus first, number one in your life, then he's got your back. And I think this gets stronger when Jesus starts talking about the family further down in verses 37 to 38. He says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now again, we see here that Jesus wants all people, not just the disciples, to put him first. And I wonder, um, Jesus said in verses 34 that he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Now this seems to be a little bit at odds with what happens later on when Peter cuts off one of the, one of the, um, the people who are arresting Jesus. He cuts off the ear and he says, why have you brought a sword? But, and here he's saying, no, I didn't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. It seems the opposite. But I think this, what he's talking about here is that his message is going to bring opposition. If your family does not follow Jesus and they find out that they come a close, not even a close second to Jesus, how are they going to feel? I think things would get ugly. I've heard it um, said that every family is like the mafia. <laughs> you know, we stick together, don't we, as family? And if someone says something negative against our family, well, you better watch out <laughs> because the whole family is going to come after you, aren't they? We're just like the mafia. But then, when someone inside the family puts someone outside the family first, I think then we can also find ourselves in trouble. I heard a story recently about a girl who was the only follower of Jesus in, in her family. Now, this, the family needed this, this girl to manipulate some finance information um, before they paid some taxes um, because they wanted to save a bucket load of taxes. Uh, 
Well, she was a follower of Jesus and she said, no. Well, the family was livid with her. They said, this is going to cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. But she stood her ground and decided that it was better to pay taxes, extra tax, or the, the right amount of taxes, than to make the family happy and do something illegal. Now, there was a cost for this woman to follow Jesus. And this family didn't like it. And I think this is what it means to put Jesus first. This is what Jesus meant in verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Losing yourself in Jesus means to put him first. And this is the third way that Jesus equipped his disciples to tell the world about himself. And so now it's our turn. We've seen three ways that Jesus equips the disciples to to tell the world about himself. So how can we consider these for us today? Well, first, Jesus taught his disciples to preach. Um, And I think we also need to call people to repent and believe that Jesus died for them, that Jesus wants to be their king. Now, I think this is going to look different for all of us. Some of us are in a Christian environment where where prayer and Bible reading are are part of our everyday life. Um, Others of us are in uh, secular workplaces where they're quite antagonistic towards any type of religion. Maybe you fall somewhere in between those two extremes. Now, I think we can take great comfort in knowing that Jesus knows each one of our situations. And he knows all the opportunities that we are going to face. Now, I thought it might be helpful to give you um, two ways that we can be preaching the gospel as, as we go. And I think the first one is to open your Bible and teach about who God is. Teach about Jesus. Now, this, this isn't just preaching in front of a group like I am to you today. Um, this, but sitting one-on-one, explaining who God is and what he means to you. Sharing of your experience of God's faithfulness in your life. Share of how God is changing you day by day. And I think that's a a good way that each one of us can actually preach the good news of Jesus to those around us. And then secondly, to preach the gospel can be loving and caring for those around us. We've had lots of opportunities recently with um, various people to to care for those in need. Um, We can be loving our spouses, our kids, our flatmates, our neighbours, our workmates, uni mates, the sick, the marginalised, the poor, the oppressed. There's so many people around us that we, can, that we can reach out to in loving ways, which are all practical ways that we can preach the gospel. All of us are different. And I want to encourage you to practice your unique ability to preach the gospel. What you're able to do is different to what I'm able to do because you're unique. And this gives you unique opportunities to share the gospel. Opportunities that I won't have and possibly no one else in this room will have. Only you. As we share the gospel in our unique way, we get a a picture of the diversity of God that he's given each one of us. And it shows the richness of God's creation. And it allows us to reach people in unique ways 
And I think it's beautiful, and I think we should be celebrating that. And as we do this, I want to encourage you, just like the disciples were encouraged, not to be afraid. Living in Ecuador made me realise how much life is lived on the edge in so many parts of the world. Um, in, uh, across the other side of town to where we lived, um, there was a hospital, um, and it had, a, it had a fancy name, like, you know, RPA, like Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, I had one of those. But the locals all called it the Death Hospital, because when you went into that hospital, you usually only came out in a body bag. Uh, people went there and died. And so when you were taken there, people were fearful of their life. They lived knowing that if they went there, there was a good chance that they would come out dead. I think when, you know, in Australia, there's such good care, isn't there? Um, it leads, I think it leads us to the idea that we think we're almost invincible. We don't talk about death very often, do we? Well, at least not like I heard it in Ecuador. It's like we've lost this ability to think that we even need to be afraid. We think, well, if I have an accident, there'll be an ambulance. I'll be okay. Nothing's going to happen to me. And it can feel like we're in control. But Jesus taught the disciples that God is in control. They should only fear him because he has control over their eternal destiny. And we should have that same fear, I think. But a fear that drives us to trust in Jesus. To know that he's in control and only by trusting in him are we ever going to be safe. As you go, trust in him and don't be afraid. The last point of application for you today is to love Jesus first. Now some of you may be experiencing opposition from your family because you follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to keep going. To keep loving Jesus. Jesus said in verse 38, Take up your cross and follow me. This means to follow Jesus even when outside pressures are telling you to stop. This is what it means to love Jesus first. If if you feel like you're giving up because it's all too much, then take some time out and remember what Jesus gave up for you. He gave his life for you and he says, I want you to give up your life for me. He's the only one, the only one, it says, that can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yet he loves you and he wants you to love him too. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we do come before you and say thank you that you are in total control of our lives, that you are in total control of our eternal destiny. Help us, O Lord, to trust in you. Amen.